Satya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Common Law Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. All right, we have to do the part where we say we are not doctors, we're herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas we discuss in our podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the U.S., so these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everyone's body is different, so the things we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some more information to think about and research further. We want to remind you that your good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. Indeed. So let's see, this week we have some shout-outs. Um, one to Katie, who sent us an email saying she found the podcast through the blog, and we're so happy you're enjoying it. Yay! Yay! And on iTunes, a bunch of people gave us reviews. Thank you so much, um, including Josie Egan, Dana Who Laughs, Sylvia Plath, and someone who managed to make their iTunes handle a smiley face and a contented face, which is super cool. Was there a super cool face? No, it was just two faces. That's the one with three pairs of sunglasses. (laughs) That's how you get cooler. So actually, Smiley Face, Contented Face actually also put a question in their review, which we thought was really fun. And the question was, um, wait, before I say it, did I say thank you guys so much for writing us reviews? Thank you. We really appreciate it. Not only do we really appreciate it because it helps us on the internet, um, but we also really appreciate it because... um, it makes us feel good, too. Well, there's, like, real people behind those yeah. lines, you know? They're it, out there. It makes us really excited when you guys write or when you write down what you like about the pod, and we're like, yay, we are not just weird people sitting with a microphone um, and a bunch of animals, <laughs> like, pontificating, but you, but, but there's we're people out there. We're not just that. We're not just that. <laughs> I mean, we are that, but we're... Other things as well. <laughs> anyway, so thank you guys very much. Um, okay, so Smiley Face, Contented Face wanted to know, what would you recommend for lessening alcohol cravings? They're not an alcoholic, but they've developed a pattern in the evenings of having a glass of wine or some alcoholic drink before bed. So that's a really good question, and that actually plays right into what I wanted to talk about today. Um Rin just made a face at me like, oh yes, what is that? (laughs) That's exactly what I was facing. Um, It was, oh indeed. (laughs) So, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, sleep and some other things involved. But first, I want to say a little about the craving question. So, the very first thing that pops to my mind always when I think about managing cravings, frankly, even before my brain kicks in enough to think about it, is Tulsi. Tulsi, um, which is also sometimes called holy basil, it really does help kick cravings. And here's my theory about the mechanism of action behind that. It's twofold. First, Tulsi stimulates the hippocampus function. And the hippocampus is where we process our experiences into long-term memories. So when we're craving things, that's often a kind of comfort or a coping mechanism. And if we can stimulate moving past the thing that is causing us to seek comfort, then it's easier to make the change that we're trying to make. Yeah. And I should say here, sometimes a craving is because of a nutrient deficiency. Like if you're craving salt, 
often, not always, but often that's your body telling you that actually you need minerals and you should maybe have a good seaweed-rich bone broth. Um, of course, you can also have some chips because that's not... Not necessarily healthy, but it's well, not but, evil. But right, but what happens though is like people get a salt craving, and then they reach for the nearest, you know, Frito Lay company product mm-hmm. that they can find, and then they eat it, and then the craving doesn't really go away, right? Because they still didn't get any magnesium or selenium or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So seaweed. So just you know, if you ha- if you have chips because you're craving them, then also have some seaweed. Anyway. I have not tried throwing a handful of dulse into a bag of potato chips and then just taking what I get. But maybe that would be great. Actually, that could be awesome. All right, we'll, we will experiment on that one and get back to you next week. <laughs> anyway, in this particular case, the question from smiley face, contented face, um, I think that we're more in the coping and comfort realm than in the um, mineral realm uh, in that kind of craving. And the other cool thing about Tulsi that I think really relates to cravings is that it supports a healthy hormonal cascade. So remember that hormones aren't just about your menstrual cycle or how much muscle mass you have. Hormones control all the different cycles of our bodies. Really everything from how we respond to stress to how hungry we feel to when we feel like it's time to sleep and a whole ton of other things. An herb that can support a healthy balance of all the hormones in our bodies is going to help us feel more centered and more balanced and not, let me try that again, more centered and more balanced and less like we need to crave comforting support. So that's Chelsea. I think that can, can really just always be appropriate. Um, so my second thought here, oh, and I guess uh, how that would be appropriate Tulsi tastes pretty great. Um, So I would just say um, work with Tulsi as tea throughout the day. Uh, Three to four cups of tea a day should should be a good place to start. Um, And you can either get it loose leaf or um, Organic India makes a really good quality um, bagged, tea bag version of Tulsi. So that can be good too. All right. Uh, My second thought here is um, that this is a really common kind of self-medicating. Alcohol is a depressant, so a person who may have a very stimulated mind or very stimulated emotions may find it easier to move towards sleep after a dose of alcohol. So if we're looking at changing patterns to support resolving the root conditions, addressing the difficulty of relaxing into sleep can reduce the feeling that a glass of wine is required to sleep. Mm. And again, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with a glass of wine or an alcoholic beverage from time to time. And I, I think that Smiley Face Contented Face doesn't, is not proposing that either, just that maybe it's come to a place where it's sort of because it's an every night kind of thing, it's becoming a habit and that can, that can go down a bad direction. Mm. And so I think that that's, that's what we're looking at is what can we do to reduce the feeling that that's required in an evening? So we've talked about sleep a little in the past, but it was on my mind again anyway. And then with Smiley Face Contented Faces question, um, it really just sort of sealed the deal for me that this is what I want to talk about. Mm. Mm -hmm. So here we go. 
Um, there are some things over the years that are that I have found to be really, really dependable sleep aids, even in tough situations. So I want to talk about that, but I also want to use this topic as a way to illustrate the virtues of not being dogmatic. And I think that as um, people who are looking at how to be really healthy or how to achieve ideal health or, you know, like whatever, there it, it can be really easy to fall into a dogma trap. And so anytime that I can think about practicing herbalism but not practicing dogma, uh, then that's, that's a win for me. That's always challenging my own ideas um, about what is right. Uh, like, everyone must always do this thing if they want to be healthy. You know, like, it's, it's so easy to fall into that. So I'm always pushing myself to not be dogmatic about my recommendations and about the way that I think about health. And I like to push other people in that direction as well. Mm. Um, Tammy Sweet is one of our very favorite herbalists, and um, she teaches a really excellent uh, anatomy and physiology class for herbalists that if you are nervous about AMP or if that level of science makes you kind of get sweaty palms, uh, you would really like her class, I think. She makes it super accessible. And, um, you know, she says all the time, she says it in that class all the time, but she just also says all the time um, that pain is a signal to change your behavior. And I think about that a lot um, as it relates to sleep. And actually, I think about it a lot as it relates to everything, because when something hurts and you don't know what to do, change something. It may not be the perfect change that you make on the very first try, but that's okay because you have to start somewhere. And this, by the way, is a very good way to stay sane with teenagers, both in terms of guiding your behavior as a parent and also in terms of understanding their behavior. That pain is a signal to change your behavior. And sometimes that's what's going on and sometimes that's what's necessary. Tangent aside. Hmm. Um... So with regard to sleep, one of my favorite behavior changes personally in my body and also to recommend um, specifically around sleep is that when I'm having trouble sleeping, I like to try to eat much earlier in the evening, which might sound like a very simple thing. But if I eat late at night, it makes it much harder for me to sleep, regardless of whatever else is going on. Even if everything else is ideal, if I eat late at night, it is much harder for me to sleep. And the second part of this problem is that it's not always immediately apparent to me in that moment. It's a lot easier to see that and remember it after I've made the change. And then I say, oh, right, that was a thing. And it's so much easier to fall asleep on a not filled up stomach. But that's easier for me to see afterwards than before. So I really like to just put this at the top of my behavior change list so that I don't forget it. Um, And then another thing that I really like to try is to stop working earlier in my evening. And to be honest, um, sometimes I work right up until bedtime, and that's definitely not conducive to falling asleep. This is a change that can be really hard for me to make also, (laughs) often just because the time gets away from me. But to be honest, more often it's because I feel like there is so much to do, TM, you know, or whatever. And so I just don't want to stop or I don't feel like I have the time to stop. Um, 
So if instead I stop working a couple hours before bed and I have some tea, that does make a really big shift for me. So I really love ginger chamomile to get to sleep. Um, and then lately I've also been adding Hawthorne into basically everything I drink. Um, the ginger and chamomile are both very antispasmodic and relaxant in a way that really works exceptionally well for my body um, to help me relax into sleep and into a place where I can think about sleep. Hawthorne is really wonderful for when there's grief or sadness or heaviness of heart. It doesn't mask what's going on. It just gives you a feeling of support to get through it. And also catnip is a great addition, especially if you have some rising feelings of anger um, or even more, especially if you are trying to keep those feelings down because you're trying to be mature and you want to, you know, like I'm not going to be angry right now or whatever reason, but you're feeling angry and you're trying to keep it down. I really think that right now this blend, the ginger, chamomile, hawthorn, and catnip um, would be so beneficial for people just all over the country. I think that so many people right now are hurting and I am literally seeing this affect the sleep of every single client that I'm working with right now and that I have been working with for the last months. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. So... Whether there's something traumatic happening in your own life specifically right now, or whether you're just responding to the pain that's in so many parts of our world right now, it's really useful to acknowledge the role that that plays in your ability to settle into sleep. So ginger chamomile is always my go-to, but that's why I've really been focusing more and more on the, cat, uh, the catnip and the hawthorn, making that part of the formula lately as well. Mm-hmm. So next on my list of things to do, you might be expecting me to say, and in those couple of hours before bed while I'm drinking tea, I make sure to do lots of relaxing stuff and stay away from television and meditate and do yoga and like whatever. (laughs) That's true. I often do suggest that. Light from screens, whether it's a television screen or a computer screen or a, a... cell phone screen, whatever, it interferes with melatonin production, and that makes it very hard to sleep. Plus, media in general is often very emotionally stimulating, and that is the opposite of relaxation. So I often talk about, you know, like, oh, listen to some nice music and have a nice relaxing whatever with some candles, and that's really nice, and it does help you sleep, but maybe it's not always the best idea. I sort of feel like desperate times can call for distracting measures. That's kind of like my motto lately. (laughs) I'm all for meditation, and I really like the Headspace app for that, or reading Pema Chodron before bed. And I've gained a lot of value from those things in my life. But sometimes, if you're really agitated, or if you're in the middle of some big upheaval, and the emotions and the stress and the thoughts are really strong... Sometimes a lovely meditation session is just not going to cut it. It's, it's just not strong enough to um, like stand up to those big emotional stress feelings that you're having. So in those cases, I think it's time to see the meditation of distraction. Because if we think about it, the purpose of meditation is not, as we might think, to empty the mind. A mind doesn't really empty. 
meditation is an exercise in not latching on to thoughts that cause us to spiral off in negative directions. And sometimes the best meditation technique is to intentionally choose an uplifting form of media and allow it to control the direction of your thoughts for a while. So in this regard, I think Netflix is really performing a service to society because they're producing so many stand-up comedian shows that literally you can watch a different one every night for a really long time. And Pandora, if you prefer audio, Pandora has a comedian channel, and I'm sure there's lots of other comedy outlets as well that are very convenient. So these days, when it's time for me to stop working and drink tea, I watch a comedian. This has some side benefits. Besides keeping my mind in a really positive place, it's also enjoyable. And that means it's a good motivation for me to stop working and drink my tea. <laughs> you know, like, I have something to look forward to. I'm not saying I have to keep working. I don't want to drink my tea. You know, it's like, okay, it's time to stop working now. Make a pot of tea and go watch a comedian. That's enjoyable. So it's not only keeping my thoughts focused, um, but it's also, uh, it's also enjoyable. And yes, it's a screen with blue spectrum light and that's not good for my melatonin production. But in this particular case, the larger problem is keeping my mind in a positive place. So, um, podcasts are another treasure trove that I am really getting into in this regard. Lately, my favorite form of before bed meditation is the Irish history podcast. <laughs> um, I'm very interested anyway. You should write to them and leave a review to that effect. I should. I sh in fact, perhaps, I'm... perhaps not the part where you tell them that I fall asleep almost immediately, <laughs> <laughs> but the other part where you yeah, say the other thank part. you for yeah, yeah. Anyway, the Irish History Podcast. I'm really interested in learning the history of Ireland. I have roots in Ireland, and um, I don't really know the whole history very well. I know some parts, but not all. Um, this podcast starts in like the year 800, so there's a lot to listen to. And the guy who does it has a lovely accent and a pleasant voice, and he makes a bunch of dates and battles sound way more interesting than you'd imagine. Um, he's also, uh, he has a lot of integrity as a historian, so I really appreciate that as well as a person who um, loves to binge on history. Um, it's really, it's interesting enough to hold my attention, and when my mind starts to wander, just exactly in meditation when we come back to the breath, in this case, I say, oh wait, come back to the history. And maybe right now, the emotions that I'm trying not to latch onto and not to spiral up with or spiral down with, whatever <laughs> you know direction you wanna be thinking about, yeah. maybe they're too strong for the breath to be enough to pull me back. But in that case, Mr. Irish Guy doing the Irish History Podcast is enough to bring me back, and that's really good. It's, it's the exact same practice. It's just that sometimes you need something that's louder than a gong. And for me right now, this is it. So when I go to bed, I spend literally zero time just laying there trying to sleep. I, I totally, I do not do it at all because I don't want to give my mind the opportunity to get spun up. So instead, I start the podcast before I even turn out the light. And what I've found is that with a pod to focus on, I can fall asleep in literally record time. 
It used to take me hours to fall asleep, and now I can fall asleep in, like, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, and I can tell because of the last thing I remember from the podcast the next day. So that's amazing for me. That's, like, a whole new level of, of getting to sleep for me. And when I wake up at the night, in the middle of the night, if I have to pee or whatever, I do exactly the same thing. I don't spend any time at all trying to fall back asleep. I just start the podcast again. And I have earbuds for if I don't want to bother Rin. I just use one in one ear. And when I fall asleep and like move my head, it falls out. And it's totally fine. Um, and I set the podcast to turn itself off after a certain amount of time. So that's good. Anyway. It's actually not just podcasts. Because sometimes in the evening, I read to you. Yes, and I love that. And uh, if you live in a household where certain members of the family go to bed at a reasonable, you know, civilized time and certain other members of the family might still be awake for three or four more hours <laughs> before they get around to laying down, <clears throat> then for you night owls, I would urge you to uh, consider reading something delightful to your family and lovers and friends if, like to go to bed if, they, early. if they like to go to bed early and if they struggle with falling asleep, um, it turns out that works really well. Uh, the worst thing that can happen is you'll have to read the chapter over again because <laughs> she fell asleep and I didn't notice because I was really into the story. And uh, you know what? That's actually not that bad. So what I recommend is um, request them to read the We Free Men and the whole Tiffany Aching series. Especially if your night owl partner is a person who's really good at doing accents and voices in stories, which mine is. And, uh. Don't tell them. Oh, it's. They don't want to hear it, you know? Oh, I bet they do want to hear it. You should just read chapters of it for the podcast (laughs) out loud. (laughs) I'm sure that's a copyright infringement in some way, but, like, seriously, you guys, he's so good. And, uh. (laughs) Well, thanks. And it's. It's, it is, it's delightful, it's, it helps me to sleep, it helps me to settle in, but it's also such a beautiful expression of love and intimacy, and they're, you know, like our culture only has a very, a very minute number of, you know, ways that we're taught to express that, and... Yeah, I don't know if this is, like, TMI or whatever, but, like, for us, I think it's been really important to our relationship as a, a way that I can give you some intimacy and something that's soothing and calming and delightful. And there have been large, large parts of my life where I had no idea how to do that in any way other than sex, because that's what I was... Because that's what you were socialized to... To to value and prioritize uh, above basically everything. So, um, hey, guys, if that's also been your experience, uh, you're definitely not the only one. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's most of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so consider this. It's really worth worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And Thank it you. fits in with other things, too. Sometimes I rub your back for a while and then read to you for a while. And, yeah. You know, yeah. It is. It's really lovely, and it really, it really helps to focus. It's, you know, you don't have to just sit there and wrestle your brain into a straitjacket. That's not the only way to meditate. It's not the only way to calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
Well, hopefully these kinds of ideas can be helpful for you. It's definitely great to have some skullcap and passion flower. Those are really good for the spinning thoughts. And a lot of times Rin will bring me that when it's time to lay down. And usually my response is like, seriously, cam- chamomile and ginger will solve all problems. Yeah. <laughs> I do have some of that next to the bed. Um, but just incorporate the herbs that work best for you to keep you calm and level. But really consider all your options. And don't let it be but I should turn off all the screens and I should meditate and I should, should, should. Like, don't let that get in the way of finding the tools that you need to get the job done. Hmm. And, and of being creative because the way that you get the job done may not be the same every time. Whether this is figuring out how to get yourself to sleep at night or any other health issue that you're thinking about, there's the, what works for you in this moment is not necessarily going to be what works for you a year from now. Maybe it will be, but maybe it won't be. So be creative and and f- let yourself be free from dogma and free from should and and find what works even if it seems counterintuitive. Yeah. And thank you for reading to me. <laughs> no problem, Lassie. <laughs> um, all right, so we... I, yeah, I wanted to actually talk about something uh, related to sleep as well. So we had a cohesive theme for our podcast today. <laughs> we don't plan the theme part ahead of time. We just sort of... I think about my thing and he thinks about his thing and then we come together and say, ooh, so what are you going to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, today I wanted to talk a bit about the, con- the, the connections between caffeine and sleep disturbances. So uh, caffeine is one of my favorite phytochemicals. I'm just, I'm very interested in it. Uh, It's got a huge hold on our society and our culture, and it has for a couple hundred years now. Um, So It it has influenced so much of the development of Western civilization and science civilization. And I mean, in ways that I think, unless you study the history of coffee... Or the history of those eras, like, you know, the 1700s and mm-hmm. in the 1600s. Like, you you really can't fathom how much coffee has created the society that we are today. Yeah. Yeah. You can take a walk down the block and you can just count the number of Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is where you guys live. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can see a testament to that. So, I mean, you know, as one of the most frequently consumed... Uh, Beverages, um, and here I'm thinking of all of the caffeine-containing herbal brews that people consume. Um, you know, tea is like the second most commonly consumed uh, fluid amongst humans in the world, uh, after only water. And then coffee somewhere on the list, pretty up, pretty high as well. But you know, so people are drinking a lot of caffeine, and most of us aren't really thinking about it too much. So it's worth understanding this molecule a little bit. Um, let's just begin with a brief review of what caffeine does in the human body. Um, caffeine is part of a group of chemicals called xanthine alkaloids, and that just means that you begin with a, with a, a structure called a, called a xanthine or a methyl xanthine, and then that can get metabolized into other things. Um, it, in most plants, it will get metabolized into theobromine, which you might be familiar from uh, cacao, chocolate. Um, and then from there, theobromine gets metabolized into caffeine. Um, and this serves a bunch of different functions for the plants. It discourages from pests from feeding on it. It's got some antioxidant functions. 
Um, it encourages human pests to feed on it. It does, yeah. <laughs> there is that problem. But on the other hand, uh, we also then cultivate that plant widely. I'm thinking back to like Michael Pollan's yes. thesis in The Botany of Desire, that um, you know, if you view the world from the coffee plant's perspective... Uh, coffee won. Coffee's having a good run there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It has uh, convinced us to spread its genes all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right, well... In humans, uh, caffeine's primary action um, is to, and actually what it does is it binds to the receptor sites for a neurotransmitter called adenosine, or people say adenosine, um, but uh, adenosine is something that you make uh, all the time, and it's basically an inhibitory or a sedative agent in your, in your central nervous system, so in your brain and, and your spinal column. Um, what happens is that over the course of the day, more and more adenosine is, is produced and it goes and it binds to these receptors in your, in your brain. And the more that accumulates over the course of the day, the sleepier you get. Um, adenosine actually has two different receptors in the, in the brain. Um, one of them, when adenosine binds, that, that causes relaxation of the muscles and that, that feeling of sleepiness or feeling tired. The other receptor, when adenosine binds to that, it actually inhibits the release of certain neurotransmitters that are stimulating in nature or like uplifting. So dopamine and glutamate are two examples there. These are things that normally when they're released, they wake you up, they give you a feel-good rush, they make you more alert and stimulated, and so adenosine into, like down regulates them so that again it's it's pushing you in that direction of being calm and, and sedated and ready to go to sleep so this sort of makes sense if you think about it like you wake up and these levels are low you, your brain is basically clearing them out over the course of the night while you sleep you wake up levels are low they accumulate over the day and you get more and more tired the longer you stay awake all right so what caffeine does is it binds to those same receptor sites but it, it obviously doesn't have the same effect that adenosine does, but it gets in the way. It prevents adenosine from binding there. And so that, that effect to induce sleepiness and calm you down and interfere with these stimulating uh, signals in the brain, um, that means that you remain wakeful for a longer period of time. So, um, okay. So that's the basic idea about what's going on. The net effect there is that it's going to stimulate your central nervous system. It's going to keep you awake. It also has a stimulating effect on your heart and your lungs. So your heart beats a bit faster. Your lungs, you know, um, have a little greater degree of, um, of gas exchange. And this is all like stimulating, waking up, getting, getting things powered. All right. Um, another thing to know about caffeine in the human body has to do with the way that its metabolism plays out over time. Uh, so when you drink some coffee, uh, the level of caffeine in your bloodstream is going to peak about an hour after consumption. And this, this is more or less uh, true for any source of caffeine. Um, there are some things in coffee that actually make the peak come on a little earlier and stick around a bit longer in comparison to what you get when you drink tea or yerba mate or whatever else. Um, but more or less, you know, about an hour after consumption is when caffeine is peaking in your body. Um, and then we also measure, or we're interested in the, what we call the half-life uh, of this molecule in your system. And that basically means it's the time it takes 
your body to reduce the amount by half. Uh, so if you consumed 100 milligrams of caffeine, um, your body will process through 50 milligrams of that uh, in this period of time, and we, we call that the half-life time, right? So for quote-unquote healthy adults, that's reckoned at about three to four hours. And I say quote-unquote healthy adults there because like any other time we're looking at um, claims being made about healthy adults or about normal people or whatever yeah. the word being used is, this reflects uh, the research subjects that were available. Um, and most research is done on uh, undergraduate college-aged white males. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a big problem in science. It's, you know, um, well-known and whatever. But, you know, so, okay. Plus, we're just making an assumption that they're healthy. Well, yeah. Like... They had no obvious problems. They didn't fill out, like, check off any boxes on the survey form for can you right. join my study or not. Yeah. Right. You know, right. Um, so three to four hours at least, let's say, for you to clear not all, but half of the caffeine out of your system. But we do know that um, these these times can be extended. So, for instance, if you are a woman taking the birth control pill then uh, the half-life of caffeine in your body could be 5 or 10 hours. And if you're a pregnant person, then it could be as long as 9 or even 11 hours for you to, again, reduce the amount of caffeine in your body by half. And this is going to be true for anybody taking exogenous hormones, anybody taking a birth control pill for for any reason, or anybody taking any other exogenous hormones. Right, right. Um, it's going to really raise the time it takes for your liver to clear the caffeine out because your liver is busy clearing out a whole bunch of other stuff too. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that is one of the things that's going to that's going to influence this this you know clearance time or this half life is that um, individual sensitivity to caffeine is relative, and so like. What's excessive for one person versus another person, that's also going to be relative or individualized or it's going to have that degree of variability to it. So, you know, when we've, when we've ingested some caffeine and it's circulated around for a while, it gets cleared out of the system primarily in the liver. Um, so this is in a, a biotransformation or, you know, people usually refer to this as a detoxification system, um, which is basically just a pile of different enzymes that break things down. And it's called the cytochrome P450. And this has a bunch of different pathways in it. Um, if you get into studying herb-drug interactions, you'll, you'll learn a bit about that. Um, the caffeine, uh, for any of you nerds out there, is cleared through the CYP1A2 pathway. Um, and that's only worth knowing if we consider what else works through that pathway or relies on that same set of enzymes to get broken down. Right? So, for instance, we know that nicotine and insulin are two substances that enhance the activity of the, of the CYP1A2 enzyme pool. And so this, this actually is something that kind of explains the, uh, the sort of archetype of the black coffee and cigarettes for breakfast. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, yeah, because if you, if you smoke, uh, you actually can drink more caffeine and experience less stimulation. Um, I'm not advocating this as a good plan. <laughs> um, same thing, actually, if you have a, a hyper-insulinemic uh, uh, situation going on, which is to say you've got too much insulin in your bloodstream, it's not um, 
leaving the bloodstream in a timely manner. This means you've got insulin resistance, you're on your way to diabetes. So this is coffee and donuts for breakfast. Exactly, yeah. So uh, watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, and like like you indicated a minute ago, caffeine isn't the only substance broken down um, along this pathway. So some of your steroid hormones, like cortisol and estrogen, other substances we might consume, like alcohol, they're also broken down in this pathway. So a lot, of, a lot of pharmaceutical drugs are as well. Yep. So there's competition for these resources, right? Uh, and this can this can cut both ways. Um, for instance, people who have like really excessive caffeine consumption, they might develop a degree of like excessive estrogen in their body, hyperestrogenism, you call it, because uh, the liver's been so busy dealing with all this caffeine and then there's no like enzymes left over, no resources left over to cope with the estrogen load. So it just remains in the system and remains in play. Um, You know, this can lead us into things like, oh, right, uh, when people have endometriosis or when they have fibrocystic breast tissue or other things that can result from this type of hormonal imbalance, oftentimes those conditions are really sensitive to caffeine intake. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had a number of clients come through with endometriosis and see really big improvements by like eliminating some food allergens and reducing the amount of sugar in their diet and cutting out a bunch of inflammatory foods. But a lot of them came back and were also like, yeah, I just had to give up caffeine and I went a few months and then I had a little cup and I like felt the endometrial tissue in the wrong place start to wake up and get irritated again. Yeah. Um, So, uh, and I mean, in general, uh, uterine tissue itself is pretty sensitive to caffeine so you know if people have like menstrual uh, discomforts or whatever else going on then this is something to to take a look at um okay so all of that's in play um and you know with the 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 enzymes there the cyp 1a2 and all of that some of that has um genetic factors that determine it um and there are certain people who are considered to be like slow metabolizers of caffeine I say certain people, but last I saw it was actually something like 40 or 50% of the population. (laughs) Um, So some people, like one out of two, uh, it's like a slow metabolizer. So they're going to be on the high end of any of those half-life ranges. Um, uh, You know, but there's other things that can slow down um, or cause greater sensitivity to caffeine, right? Like sluggish liver function in general, impaired detoxification processes in general, can make you more sensitive to caffeine. How would you know this was the case? Well, if you were also highly sensitive to um, intakes of dietary fat, like that gave you a rumbly gut, or maybe there was a little oil slick in the potty after you were done, um, like you're not digesting your fat very well, uh, that's an indicator that your liver's kind of having a rough time. If you get uh, surprisingly intoxicated on what you thought were relatively small amounts of alcohol, and it stays with you for a long time, or you get hangovers when you don't think that was warranted, given <laughs> the degree of celebrating you were doing. Um, those are indicators that liver function is slow or impaired. Um, if there's these hormone imbalances going on, you've got like elevated levels of your estrogen or your histamine or cortisol or whatever else. So those are all things that are going to say, all right, something is in- interfering with your body's capacity to cope with its normal trash, right? Just its normal metabolic waste stuff. Um, And so for that, you know, we'd say 
let's give you the materials you need to run those processes. Things like magnesium and B vitamins and zinc and enough protein in your diet and things like that. Plus, we can give like a little herbal stimulus there, a little dandelion root, a little blessed thistle, maybe some milk thistle to calm down any fire that's in place there, right? Mm. So those are all ways we'd approach that. And again, we're... <laughs> I know we got off into liver and detox pathways and stuff, but we're, we're looking at the reasons why caffeine is going to influence one person's body more intensely than another um, and some of the things that are going to play into that. So another thing we're going to want to do here to assess like your degree of susceptibility to caffeine interfering with your sleep is to observe your daytime behavior and your daytime symptoms, um, particularly after you've, you've had a large amount of caffeine. So uh, way back in 1898, uh, in the book, The uh, King's American Dispensatory, um, there, there's a description of a syndrome called caffeinism. I got <laughs> into this by uh, Paul Bergner, uh, one of our uh, teachers and mentors and herbal heroes. Um, but so he's written about this. Uh, I'll link you to one of his articles. Wait, did you just say 1898? Yeah. So that also is the date of the opening of the very first health food store in the United States. It was in New York City, and their motto was no white flour, no white sugar. Yeah. And I think it's pretty funny that, like, 1898 was a big year for recognizing that too much caffeine is a problem and too much sugar is a problem and too much refined carbohydrates is a problem. And now it's 2018. is a pretty good year for recognizing that, you know. Yeah, 2098 is probably going to have another yeah. yeah, sorry to like totally interrupt you there, but I was just like, hold on a second, you just said 1898. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you, if you look at this, they're describing like a symptom picture, right? And it includes things like insomnia, anxiety, headaches, tremors, irritability, heart palpitations, um, fatigue, actually. But it was known at the time that this was subject to individual variation, that for some people, a few cups a day might induce these symptoms, but others could drink coffee by the liter and not really have any problem. Um, I find it intriguing that the, like in the modern world, there are some known neurological or psychiatric consequences of excessive caffeine consumption, and those are really similar to this list of problems from, from caffeinism, right? So... <laughs> Anxiety disorders are pretty strongly implicated um, with high caffeine consumption. Uh, you know, the DSM is obviously not a perfect document, but um, at least the, the DSM-4 included caffeine-induced anxiety disorder in its, in its list of mm. things that can go wrong in, in people's uh, brains and minds. Um, so this is like a known, known issue. Caffeine itself can sometimes cause panic attacks um, or like precipitate them for somebody who's already susceptible um, the more caffeine you drink, the more likely you are to get impatient or even aggressive. Um, and uh, Paul Paul's cited at least one study where there was a direct correlation between caffeine intake and anxiety levels. Um, and uh, another way to look at this is if you look at the epidemiolo epidemiological studies around coffee consumption, you find that the more coffee people drink, the less depression they have, but it's not free they also tend to have more anxiety. So it's sort of like, mm, it's a take, take your choice. Would you like to be depressed or anxious? Um, <laughs> you know, ideally there's a middle way that we can find, but um, yeah. So, you know, all right, let's swing it back around to insomnia and caffeine, right? So 
this seems like obviously, yeah, that's one of the things you should look at. And like, come on, people would know if their caffeine intake was causing their insomnia. You know, come on, who could miss that, right? But the truth is that a lot of people just don't recognize it as a potential cause. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for this. One is that uh, there's kind of like two types of effect that caffeine has. Um, And remember, there's those two different types of adenosine receptors in the brain, um, where one of them is, is like the direct sleepiness effect, and then the other one is that putting a block on the activity of those stimulating or, or awakening neurotransmitters. Well, when you drink caffeine, um, you don't usually uh, consume enough to develop tolerance or to, to, um, to stop experiencing that wakefulness-inducing effect. But you can reach a point where you've developed tolerance to the sort of euphoric um, or activating or motivating effects uh, that come from the increase in dopamine and uh, glutamate and other kind of stimulatory uh, neurotransmitter actions. So what will happen is that, you know, people are drinking what they consider to be normal amounts of coffee, um, but they're, uh, like, the, the more obvious direct... Um, subjective effects of the caffeine fade away a long time before the actual adenosine blockade in the brain has ended. Um, And so people simply don't recognize that drinking a cup of coffee at 3 p.m., they could still be subject to its effects at midnight. But that's actually quite common. And actually, depending on your... depending on your clearance ability, you could have a cup of coffee at 10 or 11 in the morning, which is completely reasonable, and it could still be in your system at yeah. at 9 and 10 at night. Yeah, right. Um, right, yeah, and especially if you drink the, what's the biggest one now? There's like some... Oh, good heavens, I can never keep all the sizes yeah. straight. Anyway, you know, so it's it's very easy for you to still have, you know, 100, 120 milligrams of caffeine floating around in your brain. Uh, you know, half a day after after you had some. So, mm. um, okay. So what are we going to do about it? Well, a few things, and most of these have to do with changing some habits, right? So first of all, stop drinking caffeine at an earlier point in the day. And see, and, and all of this is based on the idea that if you're having insomnia, you've tried some of these sleep hygiene things, it's not quite doing it for you, and we want to investigate if caffeine is a factor, what should we do to, to chase that down? Okay, so first, stop drinking your caffeine at an earlier point in the day, right? So if you normally have your last coffee at 2, because it's the 2 o'clock slump, uh, <laughs> I think that's trademarked by one of those energy drink <laughs> companies, I don't know. Um, but anyway, if you've been, if you've been doing that, then um, try to not. Uh, maybe take a few drops of cayenne tincture or, um, you know, some other, like, stimulating herb that doesn't have caffeine in it works through other mechanisms see if that can sustain you through that slump um consider a nap (laughs) a little earlier in the day i think that's a really great way to resolve that issue but um that's the first thing to try you can also try choosing different caffeine sources because like i said before um with coffee in particular 
the effects of the caffeine, they come on more strongly and they stay with you for a longer period of time in comparison to if you drink your caffeine in the form of green tea or black tea, yerba mate, or other plants that contain it. Um, and a lot of this has to do with uh, what are the other constituents, the other chemicals that are in these herbs. You know, so in like the biggest difference I find is between coffee versus tea. So like coffee, it has these um, bitter diterpenes like cahuayal and cafestal, and they, um, uh, they again like cause the caffeine to enter the bloodstream more rapidly, but to stick around in it for a longer period of time. Whereas in green tea, um, you first of all don't have those present, uh, but you also have uh, L-theanine or theanine uh, kicking around in there too, and that has more of a more of a focusing and a centering effect on consciousness and on your mindset. Um, and so the effect of the caffeine is kind of like smoothed over or rounded off by these other elements that are present in the tea plant. So it may be that if drinking coffee at two o'clock uh, is keeping you up at 10 or 11, maybe drinking green tea instead could get you through that rough spot in your day, but it could not still be having that detrimental effect on sleep in the evening. All right. Um, what else? We can also support liver and kidney function, these detox or clearance functions in the body. Um, like I said, you know, feeding those nutrients, making sure we're getting enough potassium and magnesium and B vitamins and protein and everything else to make sure that these systems can function normally. So we'll do that. Uh, and then another one that I think is really important is to actually burn off the energy that the caffeine has liberated in your system. Hmm. You got to do something with that. Um, and you know, this is really acute because a lot of people feel some fatigue in the middle of their day because their body has been mostly still and they've been doing all of the work in their brain and in their fingertips. So these are, like, these are like your desk jobs, right? You're there, you're typing away, you're answering emails, you're doing the thing. It takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of focus, but we also have this habit of getting glued to the chair and staying there for hours at a stretch. Um, and, and not even just habit, but expectation by your boss yeah. that you'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you're not moving blood around the body, you're not uh, making it easy for fuel or resources to get from one place to another in the system. So you're setting it up for your body to feel, um, you know, tired and overworked and like things just aren't really moving very well. And then you're using your caffeine to push through that, you know, fatigue and even that, even that boredom. Um, uh, and so, you know, when you consume caffeine, it's actually best to go out and, and do something with that energy. Uh, so, okay. Uh, another factor here that I would urge people to consider is uh, ways to avoid developing tolerance um, to the to the effects of caffeine. You know, especially as a long term strategy, and uh, if you're interested in some of these more like enjoyable and delightful effects of caffeine, like this euphoria, this feeling of motivation, of strong improvement in your focus. In order to maintain those, um, you really have to keep your consumption of caffeine below, like at or below, like twice a week. Some people three times a week, but most of us twice a week is kind of the frequency. Um, uh, because more often than that, you become tolerant, and that robs you of the 
augmentation of dopamine and adrenaline and and these like stimulating uh, signals in the in the mind. Um, but you still have again, you still have that anti sleep effect going on. So um, the trick about caffeine tolerance is that it's insurmountable. Like you reach a certain point where you can drink all the caffeine in the building and you're not going to get any more stimulated from it. You're not going to get any more um, uh, euphoric or motivated or anything um, after that point. And again, this, this, these like two phases here, it goes back to those adenosine receptors. Um, when caffeine blocks the A1 receptor, uh, that means that you get increased alertness when it blocks the A2A receptor, then it increases dopamine levels, and so you get that stimulating or mood-enhancing effect. But um, that A1 sense receptor there it just doesn't get desensitized, and so you always have that wakefulness-maintaining quality, um, whereas the other one, it, it does get desensitized, and so you don't get that true feeling of stimulation and zoom. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, like for me, I keep my consumption of caffeine to twice a week, or less, um, and... And usually it's not coffee for you. Yeah, right. And then any time that I do have uh, caffeine, it's intentional, it's, it's like, purposeful, and any time I have coffee, especially so, mm-hmm. um, and I tell you, you guys, it feels great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I had some coffee earlier today, and we got a ton done, and my mood was really different than its normal baseline, and I don't know, just... We did. We got a lot done, and, and we had fun doing it. Yeah. So that's delightful. I really enjoy that feeling, but I'm very conscious of the fact that if I want to maintain that relationship with this strong and potent herb, then I need to be intentional about how often I call on this ally. Hmm. And, you know, coffee, like tobacco, like cannabis, like lots of plants that have a lot to teach us and have a lot of power, uh, they've also become commodified. And uh, the consequences of that have been that, you know, our, our work with them has become our use of them. And in, for a lot of people, our abuse of them. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's exploitation of these plants and the power that they have. Yeah. So, you know, the problem is that, like, if you reach that point where, you know, you've, you've desensitized the A2A receptor and, you know, all that, whatever, then... Um, what happens then is now you're the person who is dependent on your coffee or on your on your caffeine source, right? Your dopamine production actually starts to get down-regulated from its baseline. And now you need caffeine just to maintain normal levels. And so when you feel like even people who are caffeine uh, addicted, <laughs> you know, they still feel something when they drink it. But at that point, it's really just their their you know dopamine levels inching back up closer to a baseline state Um, right because initially that's another function of caffeine is that it it increases your ability to recept dopamine or to produce it yeah right yeah because again you know when when adenosine binds to its its uh a2a receptor then that down regulates dopamine activity so when you get caffeine in there then it then it does the reverse, it upregulates it. But too much caffeine over a long period of time, and now just your base level of dopamine goes down. Right. Because so, we get resistant to the... Right. Yeah. And now you feel like you need it to, to even get moving in the morning. So it's not a great place to be at. Um, so yeah, so my overall take on caffeine is that it's 
is best thought of as uh, as something you call on when you have a need. So I think of caffeine as a workout enabler. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really do like to like intentionally plan uh, a morning and, and I'll wake up and I'll drink some coffee and then that's my intense workout for the week. That's where I'm really going to rock it um, because... It works. I mean, of all of the things that bro science has looked at for, you know, improving your workout intensity and your your VO2 max and all kinds of other parameters that, that influence how much you can push, um, even subjective things like, uh, like willpower and stuff like that when they try to measure these. Caffeine, it does it. It boosts those things. And it, and it can um, just give you a little, little bit of an extra you know, jive to, to work through and get one more rep or like sprint a little faster in that last run. Um, and so it's a great way to hack, (laughs) to hack your workout, right. And say, all right, uh, I'm going to push myself extra hard. This herb is going to help me do that. So when you want something like that, or, you know, if, if you need vigilance medicine, um, I remember like the, the first advertisement for, uh, coffee in London in like 18, I forget the year, um, whatever the year was, they included in there that, that this is uh, very good for in- increasing watchfulness, and so it shall be useful when one has occasion occasion to watch. Yeah. You know? And I'm th- you're thinking of like the night watchman, you're thinking of, uh, well, you know, I'm thinking of times when we were on a long uh, road trip or something, and needed to drive through the night to get to the next stop. And there have been like... a couple of times that you have really <laughs> been a, a long-haul hero there, just driving yeah. straight through the night. A couple of thousand-mile days, you know. But, yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes you just need to get somewhere. Sometimes you just need to you, – you've got a – you've got a uh, what do you call it? You've got a big project, and you need to pull an all-nighter. Like, if you need that, it's great to be caffeine-naive. because that makes it so much easier uh than if you were a caffeine addict Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. all right so yes you want it to be effective when you need it so in the end what it comes down to is don't have it every day and again all of this is especially important if you have been struggling with insomnia um okay so i guess i got off into a couple of different tangents aside from just caffeine and sleep there but um Hopefully you can see the, the, the rationale for all of that, that you know, background description and understanding of how this works and how it changes and how that moves along. Um, and you know, I really just encourage anybody who's, who struggles with insomnia or feel like they can't shut their mind off at the end of the day, think a little bit about your relationship to the caffeine herbs and see if any changes in it can be, can be efficacious for you. Um, okay, so I'm wicked nerdy, and you. I remember that that um, image of the uh, coffee advertisement that you were mentioning, and then like I could see that image really clearly in my mind. So I had to Google it real quick, and it is a handbill from 1652, hmm. um, advertising coffee for sale in St. Michael's Alley in London. Um, so you can Google that and see an image of that if you want to. Yeah, it's, it's a really funny advertisement because it's just a wall of words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that, uh, that advertisement, actually, because um, somewhere in there, um, 
it, it includes language that comes from the four humor system of medicine, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is particularly good for folks of a melancholic disposition because right. it's, you know, drying and stimulating and so on. And I just love that because it's like, oh, that really was common knowledge. If, if you could read, you could understand mm-hmm. what the what the humors were, which one you were, and whether this was uh, be good a for good you. match for your body. Yeah. Like, like, I love that because it's, it's proof of something we say a lot, which is that these concepts around herbal energetics and, you know, hot, cold, moist, dry, and all of that, those those were truly something that people understood and were part of the common understanding of health and medicine and things like that. Um, not even that long ago, really. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, today's podcast brought to you by... Coffee and and comedians, comedians, <laughs> nice. And the Irish language, the Irish history podcast, and the Tiffany Aching series, read to me lovingly by my husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, folks. So that's it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next time. Uh, as always, feel free to like and subscribe and review and to write to us and tell us what you want to hear about next time. Yeah. Um, otherwise. Who knows what we'll bring up. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great week. Go kill your dogma. And uh, not your dog. Hug your your dog. But uh, get rid of your dogma. There we go. And, uh, And yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.